Welcome to Code Grey, an episode-by-episode retrospective of the Shonda Rhimes show, Grey's Anatomy. I'm Megan Totsky. And I'm Teresa Rosado. And each week we review an episode's characters, themes, song choices, deaths, and so much more. And we are starting from the very beginning. Welcome to episode five, Shake Your Groove Thing. Not one of the best uh, no. episode titles. There's some cringeworthy things that happen in this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Starting with the title. (laughs) An episode we both really, really love and hold dear. Yes. Uh, But yeah, there's there's a lot. (laughs) I had the uh, singular experience this weekend of trying to download an app on my phone and holding my phone as far away from my (laughs) eyes as my mom holds away menus and just being like, I can't see a goddamn thing. I don't know. How am I supposed to use this on this tiny little... I don't even know where this... I just want to search... (laughs) <laughs> fuck it and then i deleted the app <laughs> the next phase in your life is when you get a new phone and you select the option for like making the icons yeah. larger <laughs> yes you know when like you're with your mom at brunch or something and her text messages are in like size 14 font. <laughs> you're like mom <laughs> is that a special app to make the text larger <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. After I deleted the app, I was like, wow, wow. <laughs> just channeling Vivian. Just happy Mother's Day. Just entirely. <laughs> to myself. I am my mother now. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> All right. Oh, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Um, I also tried to do a thing on my notes this morning of, like, trying to highlight the main stories. Mm. Or, like, just, like... Smart. Partially for summarizing purposes and partially to, like, oh, if, nice. if there's ones we, like, don't want to talk, you know, what I, like, I don't know, just because I thought it was helpful. Nice. It was pretty easy with this one because there's, like, very clear main stories and sometimes it's, like, a little more dicey, but. Yeah. Well, it's good you did this because it's your turn to do the 30-second summary. summary. Oh, so, uh, I'm glad you came prepared. <laughs> so, Shake Your Groove Thing, episode five it is Megan's turn to do the summary this week. Okay. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy that. Which we've now, for, like, even after only five episodes, have decided that it's, first of all, a chore, and second of all, a chore that we dread. <laughs> for no real reason. <laughs> all right. It's a great sign for the next ten seasons. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is right. Okay, ready? Ready. Three, two, one. Okay, Meredith um, pops a glove while holding a heart during open heart surgery, leading to a puncture in this lady's heart. Um, A patient comes in with breathing and lung troubles, and it's discovered that Dr. Burke left a towel in her in a surgery five years previous. Um, Izzy, Alex, and Derek help a patient who's addicted to painkillers. Izzy is planning a party at Meredith's house because her boyfriend's in town, and she fails to tell Meredith about the magnitude of the party. Uh, Meredith solves a heart case with Izzy's help. Um... The party was a lot of fun. Alex's father, we find out, was a drug addict, and Burke owns up to his mistake about the towel. Wow. That well, was amazing. How was it? That was incredible. <laughs> you were like, you had the whole episode taken care of by like 18 seconds. Really? Yeah. How long did that take me? It, it was 30 once you added in your filler and okay. sort of lack of confidence in your notes. But yeah, <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> My heart is beating very fast. I'm so glad I don't have to do that next time. Damn it. I'm already I'm already worried about it. I get so sweaty when I have to summarize. 
<laughs> I was just about to take my sweatshirt off. <laughs> I have to like reapply deodorant after I finish the summary. <laughs> be like, okay, I'm ready for the rest of the show. Okay. We should never be in any kind of position of power. Like, what? No. this sends us into like serious anxiety. <laughs> a thirty-second summary for which I had notes. Like, <laughs> you're like yeah. reading from a page. <laughs> Do you ever think about the State of the Union address? And like, I understand he has a teleprompter, but my God, what a stressful thing! What if he has to pee? Or like, what if he loses his place? <laughs> You know, and, and then, then it's just gone. So like, <laughs> then you gotta start National something. Time. You're already being booed by Republicans. <laughs> yep. What if he gets the shits? I think about that a lot <laughs> as a person with an irritable stomach. Yeah, I'm just that like, be, I never even thought about that as a potential. I yeah. oh god, it's bad. That's so terrible it's, to think about. It's like the summary all over again. <laughs> I've just started watching Veep because I'm where I'm house sitting. Uh, he has HBO. Nice. And I'm just going to use that to its fullest. And I'm in midway through season three. And they deal with a lot of these really awkward questions that I've had my whole life about politicians and public figures of like, like what the fuck do you do? Like, if you clog a toilet at an event and you're the vice president oh. and everyone knows you just came out of the bathroom. <laughs> How do you take care of that? Veep, yeah. you should watch it. It's so uncomfortable. It makes The Office look look like a children's show. It makes The Office look like a, an office paradise. It's oh, God. so uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know that I can handle it. I don't handle like discomfort in TV shows all that well. <laughs> it's a meaner 30 Rock. <laughs> it's like if a Liz Lemon was okay, now super sold. awkward, but also really powerful and a bitch. <laughs> Okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's not the show we're recapping. It's, it's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> but shout out Veep. Um. I most appreciate that both of our first lines, or like first couple lines, are in relation to the Diddy Bops and their regular appearance on this television show. It's truly, like, are they contracted with Shondaland right. for Grey's Anatomy. Teresa was wondering if they were the house band of Grey's Anatomy, which is just a great visual. They're like, they're honestly, they're like the cantina music of this universe. <laughs> like, it's crazy. And I've never um, heard them outside of the no, show. No, it's not Maybe a it's a couple like, uh, maybe the, it's comprised of like, tech members of the shores. That's what I was like going to say. Like yeah, it's like two two gaffers who yeah. are like, <laughs> oh, we actually have a side project. It's called the Diddy Bubs. <laughs> Which Sean was like, out. you're hired. I'm not paying you for any of your work. <laughs> yeah, no, pro bono. We love it. It's <laughs> totally. <great. laughs> Got to get that exposure. All right, so it starts out with Meredith of course, in a sad scene at the nursing home where her mother is, or the care facility where her mother is. Um, and she's, it's become clear that she has to sign for her mother's estate, right? Like she's, she's taking over what I imagine to be power of eternity um, for her mother. And of course, her mother has to be lucid because she still has lucid days um, in order to sign for these papers. So they're trying to sort of sort it all out. Um, Meredith is <laughs> clearly sick, or Ellen Pompeo, I think, is, is truly yes. the one who's sick <laughs> in this episode. She sounds horrible. She sounds really bad. She's even 
hoarser than she usually is. Yeah, which is saying something. <laughs> but, like, not in a sexy to me more way. Just no. Just in, like, an Ellen Pompeo has a cold way. <laughs> right. Like a chest cold. Like, it's not a good one. No. Um, so she's totally worn to the ground. You, get, you sort of get this full picture of the magnitude of how shitty her life is. <laughs> And then she's got her first shot at open heart surgery, and she's holding a heart while Burke is, I think it's a bypass surgery or something, and um, and she, like, dozes off at the table, <laughs> which I think I, like, teach myself to forget every time that, like, it's not just that she popped a glove, because that's what happens, that she, she dozes off and squeezes the heart and has popped a glove, but I think that we're ignoring the central fact that she fell asleep during open heart surgery. While holding the heart <laughs> anyway Mare. that's not that's, a good look Mare. it's not good it's not good come on boo but she's like you see her glove and her fingernails like like a half an inch long yeah <laughs> like, yeah what the fuck <laughs> isn't that frowned upon in that field that's yeah i it didn't make any sense that her nails would be that long and you're right like if she you know wants to have some lady on lady action Right. Yang, you know, drunkenly after this party. That's right. Say that didn't happen. I mean, I think it's that we canon can all in my head that that's in the deleted scenes. <laughs> yeah. We weren't ready for it in, you know, 05, but yeah, yeah. I think we are now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so she pops a glove and she doesn't in in the moment she doesn't do anything about it. She just she hands the heart <laughs> back to Burke or like puts the heart back into the body cavity, I don't know. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then just, you know, she she gets into the elevator with George, and George is talking about how great the surgery is and, you know, how exciting for her, whatever. He's being yeah. a good friend, actually. Yeah. Really pumping her up. And <laughs> Meredith is like, I, I popped a fucking glove. And George, in that moment, oh my God. gives some of the worst advice on this show ever. He's just like, well, she's fine, right? She was fine. There was no, nothing happened. Right, 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 right. <laughs> he like strokes out in the elevator, and, and then like, he says, "Don't." There's nothing to tell. Why would you tell anyone? Right. Which <gasps> I do truly attribute her telling George in that minute as the same as when you like have bad news to tell someone and you test it out on your dog first. <laughs> You know, like, that's how that feels to me in that moment. Is she's, like, saying it out loud to see what happens, you know? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And I would totally tell George first in that way. Yeah, yeah, know? no, I think, I think it makes sense. <laughs> you said, I would tell George, too. It's like telling your dog or a shadow. <laughs> Which, yeah. I mean, you half expect Meredith to be, like surprised when George says something like she didn't realize he was in the elevator right like oh god <laughs> oh oh my god have you been standing there this whole time <laughs> please I was forget just I just said that <laughs> oh wait you're George it's fine <laughs> oh it's, it's totally fine so she decides not to tell anyone yeah uh, which is a bad move because then this woman eventually has a, a cardiac episode um, yeah. And they find out that her um, the wall of her heart is, in fact, punctured. Um, and so at that point, when uh, Meredith is back in with Burke 
um, she she find, she fesses up. To her credit, she she at that point tells Burke. <laughs> and the important part about that moment is that this woman is is having an episode, and and they're being called in because they're worried that her heart's going to stop. And they get in there, and the husband is of course standing right there, and Burke is right. saying. Let's go to the OR. Come on, we got to go figure out what's going on. And Meredith chooses this very public moment to confess, right? Mm-hmm. So kudos to her for confessing, but she does so in front of Mr. Patterson, the the husband. <laughs> and it's, it's it's so stupid. Like I just want to reach through my TV screen and like punch her in the face. It's so stupid. It's yeah. It, it's it's one of those things that. <laughs> You know, it wouldn't happen in a right. hospital setting right. because right. hospitals are so, so afraid of being sued, which is yes. the thing we're going to chat about towards yes. the end of this episode, that, you know, even an intern would never admit in front of patient's family, I fucked up and it probably caused the need for this next surgery. <laughs> Whatever panic is happening right now is because of me. That's on me. And my inability I, to cut my fingernails. I poked a hole in this woman's heart because I fell asleep during her surgery. Oh, hey, Mr. Patterson. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, my God. You're, you're just like George. Everyone's just popping up all over the place. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. It's so, so dumb. Um, I do like how Burke reacts to this, though. Um, I think that he um, he's sort of he's a good teacher in that moment. I think that he's appropriately harsh with her and really tells her like, hey, look, her her heart, you know, he points out in surgery that her the lining of her heart was was weakened. And first of all, just brings Meredith in on the surgery anyway. Yeah. And, and you know, has her stand there and look. And he says, you don't know that this is your fault. Like the things you don't know about the situation are endless. Why would you choose that moment? You need to, and he says to her, like, you need to go back, you need to research, you need to talk to Mr. Patterson and find out what went wrong. Um, Look at the wall, Roger. It's a hell of a lot more than a fingernail. A ventricular wall's open. I just had a conversation with Mr. Patterson. I want copies of his wife's chart in my office by five. Tomorrow morning, the two of you are going to meet with me and legal, and you better damn well be able to explain what happened here. People poking holes in hearts, leaving towels in people. They're gonna go back and talk to the husband, review the history, apologize profusely. Your ass is on the line here, Dr. Gray. This is like a weird episode for Burke. It's but a that was really a weird episode <laughs> for Burke. He's all over the place. He's really episode. all over the place. But in that moment, you're absolutely right. He does his job at yeah. a teaching hospital to make this into a teachable moment. And he is he is right. Meredith is fixating on this one thing. Yeah. Um, when in fact, everything that he sees about the situation is telling him that there's more going on than the fact that Meredith popped a glove during surgery. Um, And he says, you know, that shouldn't have been enough to puncture the wall of this woman's heart. That shouldn't have happened. And so they, they eventually talk to the husband um, uh, after (laughs) trying hard because he's already on the phone with his attorney. He's, he's lawyered up. I mean, Mr. Patterson is a smart man. He is pissed. He's he's not fucking around with us. And, uh, and they find out that this woman's lost like, like a hundred pounds in, in a like year, a year or yeah. something, um, and so she's technically malnourished, yeah. despite the fact that she's still, you know, a totally appropriate weight, right? Like right. She doesn't look like someone who's malnourished, but because she's lost that much out- amount of weight in such a short amount of time, that's yeah. what's led to her, her the muscle weakening. mass is decreased, yeah. so she can't. Her heart whining was decreased. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Meredith, a hundred percent, did 
puncture her heart. <laughs> <Right>. But, <laughs> but it also, in normal circumstances, shouldn't have would happened. Would not have happened. <laughs> right. I do so love So not that. to blame the victim, but I, I, I love, mean, a little bit. I, frankly, I really love Izzy in this episode, and for a related reason, that it's Izzy, actually, who solves this for Meredith, right? She's prepping for this meeting, and it's after this big party that we'll talk about as well. But they're sitting on the couch, and Meredith is clearly hungover, and Izzy comes in, sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, after she having all of these <laughs> surgeries all night. She sits down on the couch with Meredith, <clears throat> picks up a beer that's not hers, and <laughs> it's clearly 12 hours old, takes a sip of it, and solves the case for Meredith. You know, Meredith <laughs> says, so like, she, I know, just completely as if, like, well, how's her muscle mass? 100 pounds in a year. And Meredith's like, ding! Like, total light bulb moment. And it's just great. Like, I just love it. I do think that <clears throat> this is a great episode for Izzy. Um, she's had a rough few episodes, and I think that they had a little bit of, of ground to make up with her. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember, I know that I've seen Katherine Heigl in, like, a thousand rom-coms, <laughs> but I'm trying to remember if I think that she's as good of an actress in other things as she is in this show. I really do think that she does, and I'm curious to know if you feel the same way, but, like, especially after this particular episode, I think that she does a really convincing job at her character. Yeah. I think, I think, um... We can come back to the question of whether she's good outside of the show, but I think, <laughs> I think in this show, she's the first of our core group to become a fully realized character. Like, yeah. I think that Katherine Heigl embodies Izzy much sooner than any of the other characters embody, or any of the other actors embody their characters. I mean, yeah. even Meredith, who's given every opportunity to be this this fully realized three-dimensional character for the audience mm-hmm. is is still I don't know if she's necessarily there yet whereas I feel like at this point in the show I really get Izzy yeah. and I feel like she is Izzy through and through yeah um and I and I think that's part of why she became such a fan favorite was because she manages to do that very quickly it's only episode five and she's already had some key dramatic sequences in the yeah. show. Yeah, and both positive and negative. You mm-hmm. know, like we've sort of seen the scope of her character from very early on. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with Meredith, like, I, you know, I think it takes Meredith a little while. And I think it's also because Meredith is is um, an unlikable character, right? Which is how yeah. we started off yep. our show by being like, yeah, it's kind of refreshing that she's She's so unlikable and is the lead of this medical drama. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but Katherine Heigl outside of the show, the only performance that I can think of that um, I thought she was really good was uh, Knocked Up. Mm. Um, because like 27 Dresses was a horrible was film. a bad one. Um, and so were all of the others. But yeah. Knocked Up. <laughs> yeah. Knocked Up. She was really good. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Now I want to rewatch it. I almost believed that she would go for Seth Rogen. Almost. <laughs> and that's That's kind that's of impressive. the best you can ask for in yeah. that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Um, what else do we have here? Well, kind of speaking about Izzy, um, she, has, she has her own job uh, this episode. She is um, in charge of discharging patients, mm-hmm. and she's apparently, like, super efficient at it. Everyone's yeah. discharged sort of on time and without complications, mm-hmm. um, and she has a really nice rapport with her patient, Mr. Sherman. Yes. Um, and it's, I like it because it's one of the few doctor-patient relationships on Grey's Anatomy that doesn't get 
super personal and Mm -hmm. like unbelievably intimate like I feel like they maintain like a really nice banter that is realistic between a charismatic doctor and you know like an outgoing charismatic patient I just really enjoy all their scenes no I do too and I think I I totally agree and I think that it's a good example and it's he the patient went to med school so they have sort of this back and forth about it um but she just has like also a one of the first sort of really healthy relationships with the patient yeah. <laughs> with this yeah. guy, you know, like there's no boundary stepping and it's, it's like similar to what you said before is that it's the first time that I get the sense that she's very good at her job. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's absolutely. always nice. And I have to say, I spend, even though I know what happens, I spend at, every time I watch this episode, I spend the whole episode like waiting for Mr. Sherman to kick the bucket because yeah. I like him so much. I just assume that that's just what's going to happen. <laughs> He's going to just die horribly. Yes. And he doesn't. And it's really, really nice. Quite refreshing. <laughs> it's wonderful. The other thing that Izzy's got going on in this episode is that she's trying to plan this party because her boyfriend, whose name is Hank, is in town. <laughs> He's a is... hockey player. <laughs> and I don't quite like understand. I, I, I don't know. He came out of Presumably nowhere. from no- New York, I guess. I don't know. He's come across the country to see her for the weekend. So she wants to plan a party so that he can meet all of her friends. And the party slowly gets, she keeps inviting more and more people. And there's this ongoing joke that Hank is bad in bed and that's why she wants to throw this big party. Um, and she's sort of struggling to, to get it all together because she's also a doctor, of course. And um, what she's not doing is telling Meredith, the party's to be at Meredith's house, and she's not telling Meredith just how big it is. Um, and I think you had an interesting question about like whether or not she's in the wrong here for not telling Meredith yeah. about the party or like for <laughs> even throwing the party at all. Like, yeah, I think like, that's interesting. I think she's in the wrong for not telling Meredith the scope of the party. Like That's a shitty roommate thing to do. Yeah. But I think it is everyone keeps sort of questioning why she would throw this massive party mm-hmm. when her boyfriend is in town for a, what sounds like a short period of time and she's so busy as an intern. And I feel like, you know, she wanted to introduce her boyfriend to a bunch of her yeah. friends. How how do you do that? Right. <laughs> when you are on a limited schedule, you're not going to have a bunch of separate brunch dates. No, you're, you're going to throw a party. Maybe right. not a, a kegger, but like... <laughs> Yeah. You're going to have a party. And if you're nervous about him coming and meeting everyone, it's it's probably going to turn into a different party than the one you imagined in your ideal non-anxious state, right? Right. Like that party, the original party was was probably like a wine and cheese night. Right. Like what Meredith thought it was. Yes. <laughs> and then anxiety and neuroses took over. And like, I don't <laughs> I've, We've all been there. <laughs> I really get her thinking in this episode, yeah. and that concerns me. <laughs> well, so then Hank shows up, goes to the party, as he's not there because they've had an emergency craniotomy. And frankly, the party, and I, I do love the moment when Meredith walks into this huge party, and she's like, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. And George is like, I'm going to kick everybody out. I'm going to do it. And then she just is like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm... <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm here and I'm going to just do it. And I grabbed a bottle moment. of tequila. Yeah, because I think we've all been there of like, <laughs> this is like, life is just a little bit too big and I'm going to do something for me for yep. just a fucking second. Yes, yes. And that's like very palpable in that moment in a way that I really like. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a it's a great scene. Anytime you have the roommates just Ugh. shit-faced and being ridiculous together, that it's going to be a good scene. It's not so even great. George can ruin that. I scene. know. And even George <laughs> is delightful when they're yeah. later on when they're playing strip poker and he's like taking his shirt off. It's like <laughs> you feel like he's almost just making fun of himself in that moment, you know. It's just great. I really love it and I love the combination of Meredith Christina and George all together like that when they're drunk because they're just, yeah. you know, inflated versions of themselves. <laughs> yes. And they're all just like so incompatible <laughs> as a threesome. In delightful ways. It really is. <laughs> symphony of disparate personalities. <laughs> it's so, good. so then so Hank ends up oh, yeah. we assume dumping Izzy at the hospital. Right. Izzy's like, I just operated on a man's head. <laughs> and he's like I just wanted to hang out with you. <laughs> I just wanted to see you, babe. <laughs> and she's like, I was literally in his brain. He's like, eh. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> He's like, I've had a craniotomy before. It right. doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I'm fine. That's, that's how it feels. <laughs> so she dumps him. Or yeah. he dumps her, rather. This is not my family. I work 100 hour weeks. I can't always show up to my own parties on time. My patients have to come first. Yeah, I just flew across the entire country, and there's a hundred people at your house. Yeah, a hundred people will understand what I do all day. I shouldn't have to apologize for that. No, you shouldn't. Yeah, and it definitely feels like there's no real purpose to that plot line, except to set up a different romantic plot line like it feels like the show is just yes. like oh here you've had a peek at Izzy's type and you've had mm-hmm. a peek at the end of her relationship so what's going to be her next that's how I take it yeah like clearing like, the pathways for her yeah and and future uh, romantic endeavors I think that's exactly spot on I hadn't thought about particularly like her type I think that's interesting yeah yeah I like it and just a just you know a jock asshole so i wonder <laughs> paving the way how it's gonna an unknown out. person for, uh... anyway <laughs> so there's a huge other plot line that we haven't gotten to yet yeah yeah let's talk which about it. is it's it's there's a nice synthesis of the plot lines this week so mare has really fucked up with this patient um and we see um a in a former patient of the hospital She'd had a surgery, it was like 10 years ago or something? I think it was only five. Oh, okay. So like five years ago. Um, she, she comes back into the hospital to have another surgery, and they open her up. Bailey um, is the one performing the surgery, opens her up and, and finds up a, a fucking towel, <laughs> a, ta- a, a, surgical a surgical towel in this woman, inside, inside this woman's chest. body fucking her up for five years and like she's been in incredible pain and (laughs) she can't breathe yeah it's like affected her work life and yeah she's quit her job and like all this shit because there was a towel in her body so the (sighs) the rest of the episode is spent with bailey tasking yang essentially with with like researching who was on that initial surgery um and how how this could have happened like who closed what what happened here yes. um and we find out that it it was burke it was yeah. burke when he was a resident yeah or a fellow or a something fellow, yeah yeah and i think that that's you know i think that's 
great. I think that it's 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 such a great plot twist, and like Burke is such a highly esteemed and is so yeah. confident in himself, and everyone is so confident in in Doctor Burke um, that it's a great moment. For, you know, like it's as as the audience, you're like sort of racked with that. And I think that that's translated through Christina, right? Burke has, in the very early part of this episode, brought Christina a, <laughs> incredibly awkwardly a cup of coffee. Um, and it's, this, it's like, so painful to watch. You just, like, I just wish that were cut out. <laughs> it's so hard to watch. But to, to sort of lay the groundwork for some... He's clearly into her, you know, and she's like drinks the coffee and smiles and is sort of into it. And then this thing with the towel happens and Christina learns that it's Burke and Bailey has asked her to not tell anybody. And you can see Christina questioning Burke as a doctor mm-hmm. in that moment and questioning also him as, like, a man that she's maybe attracted to. And, like, those things are not separate for her. Yeah. You know, when she's like, oh, he screwed up at his job. She Her job is her whole life. And, like, medicine is of, of the utmost importance to her that she's suddenly, I think, questioning whether or not she's still interested in this guy because of this mistake he made five years ago at his job. You yeah. know, and I think that that's, that's telling about Burke, but it's also very telling about Christina. And I think the things that come up in, in their relationship to come, you know, yeah, of, of the way that they, their work is first for both of them in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Well, and I think there's also um, a, sort of an undercurrent throughout the episode that she is, she sees him not only as a consummate professional in the fact that he is extremely gifted um, and is this, methodical wonderful surgeon and teacher right then she's attracted to that of course she's attracted to competence but um i think there's also an undercurrent of like part of that consummate professionalism is is a sense of integrity that i think she's also finds really appealing about burke sort of in an unsaid way mm-hmm. and like this this really um puts that in doubt for her not that yeah. he left the towel in the first place right. but that once bailey tells him what's happened he sits on that information for a long time yes. and you can see yang because it's it's she never says anything out loud we don't know mm-hmm. until the end of the episode that that's what's been bothering her so much mm-hmm. um but you can see all over her face that she's just waiting for him to be the man that she expects him to be, to have right. the integrity to own up to this mistake. Um, and you get the sense that if he, if he doesn't, or if he hadn't, um, that would have been the first and last coffee he right. gave Christina Yang. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which is great. I think it's, it's Which fascinating is hot. to watch. Good yeah. for you, Yang. It really like, is. It you really set is. those standards, girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the, when it actually comes up, like you said, the synthesis, right, is that Meredith is brought in to talk with the chief about, about Mrs. Patterson and the heart and the punctured glove. With the um, hospital's attorneys there with, and everything. Right. A really and, scary meeting yeah, that she's hung over for. And, and Burke is there, too, as the, you know, attending on the case. And they're presenting the case, and Burke, in that moment, admits to the, the towel, right? To the attorney, to the chief, to God and everyone. <laughs> right. um, and it's this sort of, like, jarring moment where he just, like, starts, you know, you can just sort of see... It, it's you're, you're just not quite sure if, like, is he putting his job at risk, or is he just, like, be, being, in a, you know, a man with integrity? It's just interesting to, like, that, that risk is so scary professionally. Yeah. You really get the sense of how dangerous it is to do that kind of thing in the medical field in that moment, I think. Yeah. I think that that's, that's communicated so effectively then. 
Yeah, with, especially with his monologue, which is so good, and he delivers it so yes. well. I mean, Isaiah Washington is, he's just, he's a phenomenal actor, mm -hmm. um, and just a phenomenal part of the cast. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he delivers this monologue that really hits on exactly what you're saying. Like, if we create and cultivate this environment of fear in this hospital, yes. Right then, then what do we expect but for our young budding surgeons to keep their mistakes to themselves? Yep. And and that you know to him is is prohibitive and for a learning environment. And I think it's a, a really good point. Um, and it's just really articulately said. We'll play a snippet of his monologue. Yeah. Um, but it's a great moment for him. And then you know Bailey comes out of the meeting or something and she runs into yang and she's like he was always gonna tell them it yeah. was just a matter of when and you see that immediately relief right know? right yeah it's a great moment and then that uh that leads into uh <laughs> can we talk about this or is it just like is we it can be talk too much about for it but i us? will at this point encourage our <laughs> listeners to go ahead and if you watch no other piece of season one episode five Fast forward to the scene. Yeah, to just the very end. <laughs> it's so good. Christina walks in on Burke in the on-call room, which are very small in the early seasons. The on-call rooms <laughs> really? are really just like, yeah. anyway, that's not the point. And he's changing, and he's got this, like, he's got these great arms. He's, I mean, he's just a total specimen oh, of a man. Oh, my God. And she turns the lock, and he comes at her, and, and there's no words spoken between the two of them. And he grabs her face with his, like, beautiful giant man hands and, like, caresses her face. And they just, like, start to make out. And he pushes her against the bed. And it's, like, a close-up shot of her very tiny little stomach. And mm -hmm. he pulls the, the scrub drawstring, the drawstring <laughs> on her scrubs. And I think we can just fill in yeah. the yeah. rest in the our minds. The drawstring really... It, every it's time the MVP it's, of this episode it really like, could be it could be thank the you for resident. that camera work <laughs> it's wonderful it's so wonderful her skin is so perfect and mm -hmm. his hands and his skin is so perfect it it's just like it. uh, yeah, yeah getting a little sweaty again <laughs> I, I am not the world's largest Yang Burke supporter mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, not my favorite but yeah their their scenes are so charged and oh, i mean God. this scene it just Marindera are great and like i get their love and it's it's very it's real to me mm -hmm. um although it's maybe not had a had the chance to be showcased as much as it will later yeah um but for some reason, Burke and Yang just jumps off the screen in a totally electric and different way. <laughs> it is, electric is a great word for it. Like, it's, it's just the, it's you the can urgency just feel of it. it. Yeah. 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 The, the passion is so, oh, and so palpable. And I think it's, it's one of those situations where they're, they're so similar in so many ways that you can just feel them feeding off each other all the time. Yeah. And it and just comes just out. Both so, so tightly wound. They so. are. It's just. <laughs> So watching them unravel each other like one drawstring oh, at a time is like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. All right, should we uh, should we get into some bits or do yeah. we have any sort of last no, thoughts on, on the Let's do the bits. All right. 
I think that everybody can agree on the best song of this yeah. of this episode or maybe ever. <laughs> Rosemary Heaven restores you in life. Um, it's Evil by Interpol. And it's it starts when Meredith walks into the party, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, I mean, that song is just magic. It's yeah. just so, so good. So not only do you have, like, one of Interpol's greatest songs, um, mm-hmm. Interpol, who's in my top five favorite bands. Yeah. I love those dudes. Um, so not only do you have one of their best songs, but you it's also um, uh, synced up to the visual of Sandra Oh dancing. <sighs> So well. <laughs> Truly in a crop top. Yeah, in a like. crop top um, on top of a table in the living room of Meredith's house. No other song it's even stood a chance. Image. That could be the Diddy Bops playing yeah. it, and that would be the song of the week. Yes, exactly that. That could have been Snow Patrol. Like. <laughs> and I would still be like, hot. <laughs> but yeah, what we learned in this episode is that Sandra O oh can move. Oh my god. Um, and they put that to good use actually pretty frequently, which they I do. really appreciate. Yeah, yeah, truly. <laughs> like yeah. Shonda saw her dance one time and was like, great, alright, I'll keep let's, that in mind. Let's do this. <laughs> Get on that table. <laughs> um, so best song, Evil by Interpol. Well placed, beautiful song. We love it. All right. Um, who who's your pick for the 007 of the episode? 007. 007. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, a few to choose from. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, Meredith was really stupid about the glove thing. That was a stupid moment for her. But she had a shitty day, and she's got a shitty life <laughs> that like bums me out on an episode to episode basis. <laughs> And can we also talk about, I am also tempted to give it to George because he literally does nothing in this episode. There's this moment, I will digress for one second to talk about this moment. You can always digress (laughs) to bitch about George. Always. So they have a break between patients and it's Meredith and Izzy and Christina and George. And Meredith and Christina and I think even Izzy are sitting there. All of them are in the hallway and they're sitting on a bed and they're all studying. They're all like reading through books, studying for cases like, you know, reading up on the craniotomy that Izzy's got to do, like, all these different things, and they're reading through all of this material. They're these huge fucking medical books, and they're stressed out and tired, but they're studying, right? Because that's what they do during their breaks. And George is sitting there blowing up a glove. <laughs> and then trying to face on it. Like, it's it's the most... Yep. It's, it's such a perfect, perfect, small example <laughs> Of his idiocy and, like, his character on the show in a complete nutshell. It is so frustrating. And I think you made the point that he offers. Meredith has to run off somewhere or one of them has to run off somewhere. And he offers to watch their books. And it's clear he's not going to pick up a goddamn one of those books. He's in the middle of something right now. And it's blowing up a glove. He's creating a a balloon (laughs) army. And he's very busy. Thank you very much. Anyway, so... Yeah, George is pretty, at this point, he's a pretty listless character. There's nothing going on for him. He's really not. And so, to me, double... I don't know. I don't know if that makes him the 007. If it's if it's patients who... If it's doctors who really fucked up, you know, <laughs> Meredith or Burke both fucked up pretty quietly in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah, I, um... I, my pick was was for Burke, who had... Yeah. He had a great episode. Yeah, so he did. It's, it's hard, because I want to reward him for it. But he did leave a towel in a woman. 
And whereas Meredith immediately recognizes her mistake and owns up to it, in part because the patient goes into like (laughs) cardiac arrest. So kind of unavoidable. But Burke has like this it's he has a nagging doubt at the time of the surgery that that maybe he didn't double check, maybe he didn't count correctly. And instead of owning up to that or um you know, asking for an MRI or like, <laughs> I don't know, would that catch cowl in a body or something? Um, he just, he, he just puts it, shoves it away and goes about his life for five years. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, <laughs> if that's not a double O seven, tough sell, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll get, I think that's right. I think, but either one, Mer- because Meredith Mer- does five years before Burke does admit to her mistake. Yes. <laughs> So, anyway. Um, what about our Karev of the week? You want to act like a little frat boy bitch? Was anybody mm. a big dick in this, in this, uh, in this episode? Yeah. You know what? I ended my notes by saying that our babies learned and grew so much this episode and that I'm really proud of all of them and it's a weird feeling. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about Karev of the week. I... Like, I would give it to Hank because he seemed like an asshole. But that's, yeah, but that's kind of the best <laughs> we can that's do. That's kind of it. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, I think everyone acquitted themselves as well as they could in the circumstances they were given this yeah. episode. How about yeah. that? I, I appreciate. Yes, I can get on board with that. <laughs> okay, how about our chief resident? Chief resident. I honestly think that it's Izzy. Yeah. Like, I think it's Izzy. I think that she crushes her job this week um, yeah. in a way that, like, I think that we talked about. We really sort of needed her to do. Um, but she, like, as a surgical intern, did, made all of the right choices that she needed to, which is mm-hmm. not something that we've been able to say about her so far. Um, or any nor of is it, Or <laughs> any other characters in this episode this week, mm-hmm. you know. Um, she really, she's, she's really excellent, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I listed out some some of her accomplishments. She is efficient in her discharge duties. Mm-hmm. She skips her own party to participate in a brain surgery. Yep. And there's no, like, Izzy angst about it. She's no. so excited about the brain surgery, which yeah. is also really cool. Yeah. We get to see, for a change, Izzy loving practicing medicine. Right. Which you and I have questioned the last few weeks. Like, why is Izzy here? Not right. because she's bad at it, but because she seems constitutionally unfit for it yes <laughs> yes um and and so that's a relief this episode and then finally she pulls off a rager everyone yes. looks like they have a great time yeah. even bailey went miranda bailey, bailey and she's dressed there up for and like stayed forever hours yes. <laughs> like she has every single surgical practice is is and, yes. represented at the party even peds got invited yeah <laughs> And I think even though this is not like she stands up for every single decision of those decisions to her boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she gives zero she makes apologies. No apologies. To him. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's excellent. Yeah, and again, not necessarily what we expect of Izzy at this point, mm-hmm. because again, up until maybe the last episode um, with her encounter over the Bethany Whisper thing, she's yes. been a deferential character and yes. doubting herself. And I think that's another reason that this episode is so good for her, because you're right. She stands up for all of the choices she makes. Um, And you kind of expect her to cave a little bit to Hank. And she's just like, well, 
Bye. You. Like, have a yeah. safe flight. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's great. Chief resident. Way to go, Izzy. Yeah. Yeah. Best line. Seriously? Seriously. There's some good one-liners here. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> It's so, I mean, when Meredith walks into the party and Christina <laughs> is dancing on the table with a bottle of tequila in her hand and screams at her, baby, you made it. <laughs> and then, woo. <laughs> That's right, there's a woo there too. Like, I just. <laughs> just the way she so endearingly and adoringly calls Meredith baby. baby. Yeah. I, yeah. I like want it to be my it. ringtone. <laughs> you know? Like, baby, you made it. <laughs> She's so happy. <laughs> Um, I also love, I mean, Meredith's monologue on on both the beginning and end of the episode. um, You know, the whole theme of the episode is it sucks to be a grown up, which is rings so true for grown ups there. But I do love at the end when she says, you know, initially she's like, don't let the sex and the shoes and the booze fool you. Like, being a grown up fucking sucks. And then at the end she's like, well, the shoes and the sex and the no parents anywhere telling you what to do. That's pretty damn good. And I, like, have a moment where I was watching it when, you know, they were all drunk at the party, and I was like, yeah, like, it is, you know, like, it <laughs> yeah. sucks a lot of the time. But when it's fun, it's really fun. Right, right. Like, but, for instance, you're drinking a shandy right. and doing a podcast with me. At 4 o'clock on a Sunday. <laughs> hung over from a great night last night. So, <laughs> adulthood. That's right. Um, in its purest form. I also really like, uh, and this is another pivotal moment in the show, but I also really love Bailey's line. She <laughs> is leaving the party. Um, Derek and Meredith have decided to fuck in the car, which is parked right outside the house. So, of literally all their colleagues, just to be perfectly clear. Like every single non-janitor working in that hospital (laughs) it's like presumably in in meredith's mom's house (laughs) but they're like yeah no totally no one will see us if we just have a quickie in this car so bailey is trying to move her car she knocks on the window (laughs) of the vehicle they're in and says you mind moving this tail wagon you're blocking me in it's so good it's so scary it's so (laughs) funny (laughs) You just, like, want to die in that moment. (laughs) But she also uses the word tail wagon really convincingly. (laughs) Yes, really convincingly. It's not the first time she's been blocked in at a party. That's right. By a couple of idiots. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, All right. So medical fact of the week. Is that where we're at? Yeah. Okay. So I was really intrigued. I actually said... um, I was like, how often are towels left in pit? Like, this is stupid. That doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, dear listener, <laughs> I've got some news for you that might make you reconsider surgery ever again. <laughs> because as it turns out, surgeons leave shit inside of patients actually all of the time. <laughs> Um, so this is from a USA Today article uh, in 2013. Um, and it's, it's working from three major studies um, that have been performed since 2008. Um, and those studies concluded that sponges and other items like towels are lost in anywhere from one in 5,500 surgeries to one in 7,000 surgeries. Jesus. <laughs> so with um, 32 million invasive surgeries across the country, 
each year, that means uh, like 4,500 to 6,000 cases a year um, as the actual incidence rate, right? So it doesn't sound like a lot when you're like one in 5,500 surgeries. But then when you think, oh, that could be 4,500 to 6,000 <laughs> times a sponge is left in someone. Just in the United States, to <laughs> be clear. Here. Yeah, right? That's not here, a global America. statistic. <laughs> Um, and then studies suggest that one to two percent of those cases prove fatal, which again is like you're like oh one to two percent, but for something so stupid and preventable like someone left a fucking towel in your family member and they died like that's horrible. <laughs> Oh, um, sponges are the biggest problem. They account for about 70% of lost surgical items. Needles account for less than 10%. I guess that's nice. Mm. Instruments. <laughs> like, instruments. So, <laughs> scalpels and shit <laughs> account for about 5%. Um, and this article kind of goes on to delve into why we're not doing more to fix what yeah. seems like a pretty fixable problem. Um, and so they point out that malpractice suits related to shit being left inside of patients um, cost hospitals between $100,000 and $200,000 per case. Oh it's actually kind of low. I was, I was like, thinking that. Like, if you if somebody left a sponge in, like, my brother... Yeah, and, and he, he developed sepsis became, yeah. and died because of I'm it. I'm going to ask for more than a hundred grand, exactly. to be honest. Exactly. Like, most, many surgeries cost $100,000. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting, yeah. that that was kind of the average. Um, so, so that's, you know, obviously it's a huge deterrent um, for surgeons to admit any kind of fault right. is opening themselves themselves up to being liable, right. which is a huge fear of doctors um, because those suits cost doctors and hospitals so much money. And, and we see that, I think, in a really, you know, relatively nuanced for Gray's way yeah. um, with Burke saying, you know, I didn't want to speak out because I was afraid, right? right? And so that's part of the reason that you don't necessarily have people coming out and saying, I question a thing that I did in this surgery. Right. Um, so part of the point of this um, article uh, is, is to talk about how can we get rid of this culture of fear? Like, how can we get rid of this idea that doctors are, um, you know, infallible, right? Sure. Like it's damaging for patients. It's damaging for the doctors themselves. Like mm -hmm. the system does not work. Um, so then they talk about possible solutions. So the most common way that um, hospitals track is they count everything that comes out of the patient, right? Sure. And so they're like, okay, we have 20 sponges or shit, we only have 19. We're missing a sponge. <laughs> well, close them up. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But of course, counting it leaves room for human error, right? right? So not a foolproof system, as these numbers can attest. Um, and so there are sponge tracking systems. They add like eight to 12 bucks to the cost of an operation, which is not that much. Yeah. Like, again, like you said, when your surgery costs $200,000, like right. what's eight fucking dollars? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and yet, even with that technology available, uh, like fewer than 15% of U.S. hospitals use that kind of sponge tracking device, um, according to a survey of companies that make those products. 
Um, and that, again, just comes back to just this issue of not wanting to sort of admit error. Um, <laughs> and not wanting to add to costs, right, um, in an already very expensive healthcare system. But it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna be sued for two hundred thousand dollars because you left a sponge, like how are you not choosing to spend a few hundred dollars on and ultimately sponges like, with barcodes? <laughs> if if the sponge tracking system adds eight to twelve dollars like that's not eight to twelve dollars that falls on the hospital that's eight to twelve dollars that falls on the patient right it adds to the cost of the operation which a patient or the insurance pays for right you know like i understand that hospitals are businesses but like i don't know i just feel like that's not a i don't know that's just incredibly fucked up (laughs) yeah so so that's my medical fact of the week i really went into this one um excited to point out that this would just never happen because who would leave a towel inside someone? Um, and yet here we are. Here we are. <laughs> um, and this is um, sort of, this piece just came out this week. Um, I forwarded you the article on oh, medical error, that medical error is the third leading cause of death <laughs> yep. behind cancer and... I think uh, heart disease. Heart disease. <laughs> Medical <laughs> error is the third leading yeah. cause of death, according to a study that was just released this week. And again, that same that article pointed to the same issue of like yes. we we need to stop treating these physicians as being without fault because we're just opening everyone up to horrible mistakes. It's just silly. That cost lives. You know, yeah. like that's just oh. Yeah. How, how do doctors learn? How do we create better learning environments if doctors are too afraid to say, I'm not sure how to proceed here? Or right. I worry that I took the wrong approach. What's my next step? You Which know? is something that we see quite a bit of in this show, and it is incredibly frowned upon in this show, right? If you don't know the answer, that's, you know, <laughs> it's like kind of the worst thing that can happen to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I understand that a piece shamed. of that is training young doctors. Like, this show does train young doctors. But um, it's yeah. well, it scary. Trains, like, tra- trains young doctors and George. And George. <laughs> right. Who I did acknowledge today, I think, would, or when I watched this episode and was taking notes, I think he'd be a really great candy striper. <laughs> you know? He really would with his big, kind yeah. eyes that everyone talks about. Exactly. It's really yeah. missed his calling there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, funny. All right. Well, I think that's what we've got for this week uh, for episode five, Shake Your Groove Thing. Uh, We will see you next week for episode six, um, which is, I think, the midway point of this first season. Yes, ma'am. Because it was a mid-season pickup. That's right. Things are happening. Here we go. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.